make for a meal. Um, amen. Amen. Well, you know, there ain't nothing like family, is there? Everybody has one. And, you know. But a family, for all the, the fun and function and dysfunction, for all the ups and downs, a family is more than just a shared last name. And a family is even more than just some common genetics. But in so many ways, a family is a shared story. Right? You think about think about your, your family and how the story of your family and the stories that your family told you, how they helped shape you. And how the, the story that your parents maybe communicated to you helped you shape your understanding of who you were, what your place was in the world, what your value was, and what you could accomplish. A family helps us think through so many different aspects of this world because of the stories that we share. And there are stories in the story of your family that are always going to be told, that are always going to have this massively deep impact in the future of your family. There are stories about a great-great-grandpa that got kicked out of England for being a horse thief and came to America and started over. And there are stories you've got in your family about an uncle who went off to war and came home, but he never was the same again. Or another uncle who went off to jail and came home, and he's still exactly the same as he always was, right? Uh, the recipes that you have, sometimes those recipes, they're connected to stories of memories gone by and years that have long since commenced. Um, but few of the stories we tell in our families have kind of the same uh, level of weight like the stories we tell about children being born. Whether those stories are about a pregnancy that, that seemed, was totally unplanned, seemed like really, really bad news at the time, but became the blessing that you didn't know you needed, or whether, like at our house, uh, pregnancies were the stories of years of answered prayers, whether the stories of, of birth of children are the stories of 30 hours of hard labor or the panic of 30 minutes of quick labor. Every birth is unique. Every family story is different. And every birth represents something monumental happening in a family that says this family will never be the same. And really this world will never be the same because every birth, every pregnancy represents a promise about the future. Every pregnancy represents a promise. Now when I ask you, way back on Easter, remember that? What your favorite Bible story was. Somebody said that their favorite Bible story was the story of a little family, dad named Abraham and a mom named Sarah, and a little bouncing baby boy named Isaac, the son of promise, who points the way to another son of promise. And tonight I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to their story in Genesis chapter number 18. The story of this incredible family of believers and the birth of this unlikely, unexpected, impossible child. And I want to show you how the promise of Isaac's birth teaches us much about faith, the grace of God to do the impossible, and the important lesson from Scripture, and I want you to hear me on this tonight, that to be saved by faith 
is to be saved by a promise. To be saved by faith is to be saved by promise. I want to read to you from Genesis 18, and then we'll skip over to Genesis chapter 21. We've got to get the happy ending in here, too. But Genesis 18 says this, verse 1. And the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, <coughs> by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of his day. Heat of his day. He lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick. Three sayas or three measures of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Don't you appreciate the Bible's matter-of-factness? Uh, it continues, uh, the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Uh, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you, about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Now look over into chapter 21. Chapter 21 says, verse 1, that the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. So by the time you get to Genesis 18, Abraham has been following God for a long, long, long time. Years before, a quarter of a century before, God had appeared to Abraham. Except then his name was Abram. And he said, Abram, I am going to bless you. Abram, I'm going to make of you a great family. Abram, from that family, there is going to rise a great nation. And Abram, from that nation, I am going to bless all the families of the earth. That's a great promise to make to a man who's 75 years old, isn't it? Who has no children, who has no grandchildren, whose wife is 10 years younger than him. Lord, I appreciate the thought, but it's not very likely. And yet, against all hope, the Bible says, Abraham believed in that promise of a coming son. Now, Abraham did not always believe perfectly. There were stops and starts to Abraham's faith. There were times when Abraham veered from the course that the Lord set before him. 
But the Lord came to Abraham time and again and reassured him of that promise. Abraham, one day I will give you children. One day from those children a great nation will come. And one day from that nation a blessing will be born into this world that will mean the birth of blessings for the entire world. And in so many ways the entire nation of Israel was birthed with the promise that God gave Abraham. There's a way to read the Bible where you see that the message of Jesus itself started to blossom into fullness with the promise of the son that would be born to Abraham. God tells Abraham, Abraham, go out and look at the night sky. And for every star you see, Abraham, that represents your descendants. As many as the stars in the sky, Abraham, that's how many your seed will be. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 18, at least on this particular day, the only thing in the sky Abraham really is worried about is the sun. The Bible says that Abraham is sitting in the sun. Well, he's actually sitting in the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Now, back in the ancient world in the Middle East, these people had so much more common sense than we do because they participated in the ancient practice of siesta. Never have figured out why Americans aren't bright enough to get on board with this. They would get up early. They would work hard before it got exceptionally hot. Then they would come eat a big lunch, and then they would hang out in the hot part of the day. So all morning long, there has been frantic activity around the tent of Abraham as people are tending the flocks and milking cows and doing this thing, that thing, or the other thing, making meals and doing the chores. But now it's hot, and everybody's laid out in their hammocks. Everybody's laying in the shade of the trees. Everybody's cooling out. And Abraham's like the old joke from Jerry Clower. He's laying in the air conditioner and letting it blow up one leg of his pajamas and out the other leg. And Abraham is just enjoying life. And while Abraham dozes, the Bible says that three men walk up to Abraham's tent. Would have been unusual to receive visitors probably in the heat of the day, but three men. But they're not quite men, are they? They're angels. But they aren't quite angels either, are they? Because when Abraham sees these three men, he bows down to these men. And he calls these men Lord, he calls them Master, and he treats these men that are three as if they are one, as if they are God. Now the writer of Genesis, Moses, he's doing a lot here that we just do not have time for. But Abraham, what, what do you do if God shows up in, at your tent in the middle of the day? Abraham runs into the tent. And he says, Sarah, Sarah, we've got to get something to eat. God has showed up. And so he makes Sarah start to bake some cakes. And he makes, makes one of his servants kill a fatted calf. And he, he, he gets some, some cheese curds together and, and some milk to wash it all down with. And they basically have Philly cheesesteaks out here in the middle of this afternoon is what they do. As far as I can tell. And the Lord speaks over this meal. Well, he doesn't speak as much as he asks the question. Where is Sarah? If you know the story of Abraham, you know that this story here in Genesis 18 is really not just about Abraham, it's about Sarah. Because Abraham already has a son by this point. But it's not Sarah's son. It's Hagar's son. And so the visitors ask him, where is, where is Sarah? Well, she's in the tent. She's making biscuits and doing this stuff to take care of you guys. And the visitors say, by this time next year, or about this time next year, probably like nine months from now, Sarah's going to have a son. Sarah hears this. She laughs. Ha! Right. 
right, 90 years old, and I'm going to have a son at this point. And the Lord calls her out on it. And she does what so many of us have done in our lives. She tries to argue with it. No, I, I didn't laugh. You, you misheard. Lord, you misheard what I said. And the Lord says, no, that you will laugh. Sure enough, though, something about a year later, 90 years old, nine months pregnant, swollen ankles, bad back, the whole deal. Sarah comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, honey, I think it's time. And he says, time for what? <laughs> and she says, it's time. And again, the whole camp rushes into all this activity to help Sarah give birth to this child. And the Bible says that when she holds this little boy in her hands, she names him Isaac. It's a great Hebrew word for laughter. God has had the last laugh. That when Sarah laughed at God's promise, when Abraham in chapter 17 had laughed at God's promise, God had made them laugh given them joy in the face of the impossible. And now God has had the last laugh. It's one of the most memorable stories in all the Bible, isn't it? How God promises this, this family and this child, and he says this impossible declaration, you are going to have children even though it just it can't be. And this story begins to really set the snowball rolling downhill for the rest of the Bible, doesn't it? Because it's from this family, this first little family of faith, that this son Isaac is going to have two sons, Jacob and Esau. And from Jacob, the sort of unwanted, unloved twin, is going to come these 12 tribes of Israel. And from those 12 tribes is going to come the great nation of Israel. And from one of his sons, Judah, the son from his unwanted wife, Leah, is going to come the Lord Jesus all of these centuries later, the promised son who is going to be the solution to the promise made to Abraham that God would bless all of the nations through him. And by the time you get to the other side of Jesus, the promised son of Abraham, you have the New Testament writers looking back to all of this, putting the pieces of the puzzle together, doing the math, carrying the one, and they see this in so many vivid ways. For instance, you have Abraham and Sarah both in Hebrews chapter number 11 as kind of a living, breathing picture of what it means to really live by faith. To set out from this world, to say goodbye to your old life, and to set out following the Lord no matter where he leads you. In Romans chapter number 4, the apostle Paul will use the faith of Abraham to show what it means to really believe in Jesus. In Galatians chapter 3 and 4, Paul will use the story of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Ishmael, and Hagar to show what it means for God to save the Gentiles through grace and through faith alone. So, really, the New Testament writers, they had no problem saying Abraham was a Christian just like the rest of us because he believed in the same Christ we believe in. He just did it before Jesus got here, and we do it after Jesus has come. But the most interesting use of the story of Abraham, I think, in all the New Testament, comes in the very last moment of Stephen's life. As Stephen is preaching at the temple, as Stephen is proclaiming the new Christian message to those enemies there who wanted him dead and who wanted Jesus erased from history. And here's what Stephen preaches about Abraham. It's amazing how he preaches about Abraham. He says that Abraham is the prototype for how God works outside of the borders of Israel. 
Where was Abraham at when God called him? He wasn't in downtown Jerusalem, was he? He says Abraham is the prototype for how God saves and how God works apart from the geography and the borders of the temple itself. Because there was no temple when God called Abraham. In other words, for, for Stephen, he says, look, Abraham, the first Jew, was a Gentile that God saved. Outside of Israel, it's an incredible, an incredible sermon that cost Stephen his life. But all throughout the New Testament, you have these writers saying that Abraham is an example of how God saves by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of his own promises alone. And so this story that is so captivating, that is so memorable, this story is a great story for you to share the gospel from. Because like so many stories of the Bible, it sticks in your brain. It just lodges in your mind. It may not necessarily be easy for us to remember Romans 5.1 that says we are justified by faith. But it is easy to remember this story. It is easy to remember this story about this old Bedouin couple that had nothing but the promises of God. And nine months later, they had the baby that God had promised. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to work through this story. And I want to hold a couple of things kind of intention all at once if I can. First is the Old Testament story itself right before us. Second is the New Testament interpretation of these events. And third is the call that all of us have to share the gospel from places like this story that shows us to be saved by faith is to be saved by promise. And so first, I want to show you in this text, and you can see it right on the surface, that God does the impossible. God does the impossible. Understand that the story is written the way that it's written on purpose. It is impossible for Abraham to have children. He is a hundred years old. A hundred year old men are not worried about changing diapers and baby food. Those days should long since be gone. Sarah is 90 years old. And the Bible in verse number 11 tells us that the way of women had ceased with her, which just means the way of women had ceased with her. We'll just leave it at that. She's long past, long past any, any, any possibility that she could ever hope to have children. They, they can't have children. It's, they just can't. Unless their God does the impossible. Unless God can do for them something that they cannot do for themselves. Unless God is able to birth hope into a hopeless situation. Unless God is able to do the impossible. Unless God moves on behalf of unlikely people. And that's exactly, y'all, that's exactly how the Apostle Paul reads this story in Galatians 3 and 4. Because in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul is dealing with a Gentile church that is being made to feel as if they aren't really deserving. They aren't really Christians. They really just shouldn't get all the blessings of God in Christ because they've got the wrong language, the wrong skin color, and the wrong background. And you have this huge population in the church of Galatia that is being told, you're not good enough. You don't belong. God doesn't accept you. You've never done enough. You're the wrong tribe from the wrong side of the tracks, and God really doesn't have anything for you. And then what does, Ab what does, what does whoever wrote Galatians, what does Paul do? 
the Apostle Paul takes them back to the story of Abraham to show them that God did the impossible for the unexpected. God did the impossible in giving in Isaac to prove that he does the impossible in saving Gentiles. To prove that he does the impossible in making people who were not his people his own beloved people. Say, why, what, Brother Jesse, why does any of that matter? Here's why it matters. Well, it matters for a lot of reasons. But here's why it matters for our purpose tonight. It matters for our purpose tonight because every day we encounter people whose lives are hopeless. They might hide it behind addiction. They might hide it behind medication. They might even hide it behind religion. But every day of your life, you rub elbows with people who internally are absolutely broken and devastated. Their families have left them hopeless. Their own decisions have left them hopeless. Circumstances beyond their control have left them hopeless. But even though they might have no hope in themselves or in their family or in their future, our God is a God who gives birth to hope in the middle of hopelessness. Our God is the God who does the impossible. And we are able to say to them exactly what Paul says to the church of Galatia. You are exactly the kind of people that God blesses. God blessed this broke down old couple Abraham and Sarah with a baby they could not produce on their own. And God has saved and blessed broke down people like us with glory unspeakable and full of joy. And if that's true, then we can say to every drug addict, we can say to every homosexual, we can say to every depressed, anxious, broken person, our God loves people just like you. Our God cares for people just like you. Our God wants people just like you. To people who have given up, to people who have nothing to offer, to people who have nothing to give, we say to them, come and welcome to Jesus. We call people to recognize that salvation is by faith in Christ alone, not Jesus, plus their efforts. Because what in the world are Abraham and Sarah going to do? Nobody's going to let them into a Lamaze class. Somebody break a hip. How are they going to? This is not possible. But Jesus has not called us to do he has called us to trust even the most hopeless even the most broken can come empty-handed with their pockets out saying i trust you i trust you after all abraham and sarah are right in the middle of a season of their life where they are having to learn that god doesn't need their help that's all in the chapter before this in Genesis chapter number 17 and in Genesis chapter number 16 where God has made these promises no children are coming no children are coming year goes by year goes by year turns into decade and decade turns into decade and there are no diapers there are no trips to Chuck E. Cheese there's none of the fun of raising children and so Sarah gets an idea and the idea is that Abraham will sleep with her slave, Hagar. And through some kind of convoluted reasoning in Sarah's mind, Hagar will get pregnant, which she does, which is incredible. And then that'll just kind of be their kid. This will be their kid. And the result was disaster. And still disaster. We are, every time we go to the airport, have to take our shoes off. 
But when you read Galatians, the Apostle Paul looks back on the events of Abraham, Sarah, Ishmael, Hagar, all that. And he does something that is honestly astounding. And he says that Ishmael and Isaac represents two ways to relate represent two ways to relate to God. He says Ishmael represents all of those who try to relate to God on the basis of what they can do. Specifically, he says Ishmael represents those who are trying to relate to God on their ability to keep the Old Testament law. And Paul says those people are slaves because they're slaves to what they can do. They're slaves to the burden of performance. They're slaves to the anxiety of constantly asking themselves, have I done enough? Am I good enough? Is God pleased? Why? Because this is what Abraham and Hagar and Sarah did in this moment. It was a matter of taking it all into their own hands, right? Ishmael was the child that Abraham could produce. But Paul says, Isaac, he's the child God can produce. He's the child that can be produced, not really with Abraham's help, but through what God alone can do. And so Abraham, or Paul looks at Abraham and he says, Isaac represents all of those who trust in God alone. He's the child of promise. He's the child of faith. And so God would say to us, and we should say to a world that needs Jesus, that God doesn't want you to be like Abraham with Hagar. God doesn't need you to add to his promises. God calls you to rest in his promises. God calls you to trust in his promises. God calls you to accept that God wants to do what God alone can do. And that is what it means to proclaim the gospel of salvation by faith alone. That salvation is a matter not of our promises to God, but his promises to us. Now, it's not just that you see this idea of salvation by faith alone in Genesis 18, but you see a clear example of salvation by grace alone in Genesis 18. Now, I want you to, to do something positively horrifying for a moment. I want you to imagine that you are God. And you've called Abraham as the guy, the only guy, the guy. Dude, I'm going to bless the world through you. And this Mesopotamian sheep herder says, okay. And off he goes. And everybody's doing great. And you've got this wonderful plan for the world in Abraham, and you're going to bless the world, and it's, everything is just gravy. There's this, this issue with Egypt, but you get him out of that. There's going to be some problems with Abraham trying to pawn off his wife because she's also his half-sister, but you're okay with that. Because you're the Lord and you're good and you're engineering all of this. And then Abraham decides, you know what? God, you're just taking too long. God, this isn't working out and I can do it myself. And he goes and he sleeps with his wife's handmaiden and tries to take this baby as his own because he doesn't really trust in you. Are you going to show up at his tent for lunch? Or are you going to say, Abraham, the project's over. I'll pick somebody else. What is God doing here at this tent? Why is God here? Why is God still fooling with Abraham? Can I tell you why? Because God is a God of grace who still visits the undeserving, who comes to people even though they have nothing about them that should commend them to God. We call Abraham the father of the faith, and he is. We call Abraham in so many ways the founder of our faith. But what he did in chapter 16 and 17 
Abraham's kind of a creep. And yet here God is with this creep. And you see in this story the grace of God in coming to the undeserving. Friends, when we share the gospel, we share the gospel with people who are never deserving of grace. And some of them realize it. Some of them realize it. And they think their sin is so great that God's grace would never overcome it, that Jesus would never be for them. And the good news that we can tell them is that our God is a God who visits tents of failed Middle Eastern farmers. And he comes and he sits down with them. And he eats at their table. And he makes promises about good things for their future because he loves them and because he cares. And really that's, that's what's happening here in Genesis 18. Because Genesis 18 goes back to Genesis 12, right? Where God makes the first promise to Abraham. But that goes back to Genesis 3 when God made the first promise to Adam and Eve. And it goes all the way forward to the promises that are kept in Jesus. Why do you have any of those promises from start to finish? Why do you have the whole plot line of Scripture? Because God is a God of grace who comes to people at their worst, who comes to Adam and Eve when they're hiding from God behind their own fig leaves, who comes to Abraham when he's at his tent in the heat of the day, who comes to us in our sins and says, I love you and I am for you. Because our God does the impossible, because our God is gracious, our God is good, and our God is kind. And what you should see in Genesis chapter number 18 is the glaring biblical truth that God's kindness is greater than human limitations, and God's kindness is greater than human inability. And God's kindness is so big and so eternal that He's getting ready to birth hope right in the middle of this world. And so we see from this story that our God is a God who does the impossible. But I would say to you, and this probably goes without saying, but our God is a God who keeps His promises. Because the day comes over in chapter 21 where Isaac is born. And what a day that was. What a baby shower they had, don't you know? But it wasn't just peanuts and party mints and, and cocktail weenies, was it? I mean, they celebrated the birth of this little boy. But the whole, the whole body of the New Testament looks at the birth of Isaac and Abraham's faith in the birth of Isaac. And they see this as how God always works with people. They see it really as, as being really not all that different from how God saves us. God makes a promise and we believe. Salvation by faith means salvation through promise. So think about this with me. What is the difference between a promise that I make and a promise made to me. What's the difference? The difference is that for a promise I make, it's up to me to keep it. I have to do. Don't tell them this. In case it doesn't work. But I promised the kids that in the summer of 2024, I'm going to take them to Disney World. Now, I've been to Disney World, so I know what we're in for. They're little. They don't know what they're in for. But I've promised them that we're gonna, I'm going to take them to Disney World, summer of 2024. But that promise depends on, entirely upon me, right? 
It depends upon my having the funds to go. It depends upon my being in a proper mental state to go and brave the Florida heat and the 25 million people that are crammed in like four square miles. It depends on my willingness to stand with two little kids in that heat amidst all of those people. And y'all, I've been to Disney World in the summertime. Some of those folks don't smell good, bless their hearts. And it all depends upon me. There's nothing that they can do to make my promise come to life. The only thing they can do is believe or disbelieve that daddy keeps his word. And this is how the Bible talks about salvation. That our salvation by faith is never about the promises we make to God. But it's always about the promises he makes to us. You know why? Because what kind of promises do you make to God? You've made them before, haven't you? Lord, if you'll do this. Some of y'all ought to be missionaries in Africa somewhere because you promised the Lord you'd do it, and yet here you are, right? That's the kind of promises we make. Go to summer camp when we're, you know, 13 or 14 years old and get all shook for Jesus on Thursday night when we slept for four hours all week. Man, we, we're on fire when they get the band going. The preacher comes and have the invitation, and we surrender ourselves to full-time Christian ministry, and you know. And then six weeks later, we're back in school and all that Jesus stuff worn off. Kind of promises we make to God same kind of promises Abraham made <laughs> promises that fail and promises that falter but Paul says that to be saved by faith is to be saved by his promise to us he says in Galatians three eighteen, for if the inheritance comes by the law it no longer comes by promise but God gave it to Abraham by a promise why was Abraham blessed by God ultimately because God promised him he would be. Because God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm going to do it. And so all of this rests on God's goodness to Abraham, not Abraham's goodness to God. It all represents, it all comes down to his faithfulness to us and not our faithfulness to him. And that's good news for you to share with people that need to hear it. Because there are so many people that are confused about the message of the Bible and they think that the message of the Bible is essentially good advice about how to do some good things to get a better life and to make God owe you a better life. Folks, that's not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is not self-help. It's not self-improvement. The message of the Bible is that God comes to the unexpecting and the undeserving and says, you know what? You don't have a bit of this coming to you, but I'm going to be better to you than you could ever possibly understand. I'm going to be better to you than you could ever possibly deserve. Just believe me. Hang on and see what's going to happen. That's what God is up to in this passage of Scripture. But at the same time, poor old Sarah, she's not exactly a glaring example of incredible faith, is she? I mean, she's in there, you know, cooking her cornbread or whatever she's doing, and the Lord promises to Abraham to have a child. And, and Sarah doesn't say, yes, Lord, that beareth witness with my spirit. What does she do? Ha! 90 years old. Ha! Right. And then, then, the Lord says, Sarah, why did you laugh? And what does she do? Oh, no. That, that was the other Sarah in here. That was like that's going to work with God. God's going to say, oh, my mistake. Right. 
This is not a glaring example of faith. Do you know what faith would have been in Genesis chapter number 18? Faith would have been cleaning up from lunch and going to buy a crib. That would have been faith. That would have been faith. And yet, even when faith is weak, God's promises are still strong. Even when faith is weak, God's promises are still strong. And this is a a great lesson for us to learn as we think about understanding the Bible and talking about the Bible, that sometimes the characters in the Bible, they serve us by their negative example. Like, Sarah's faith is weak. This is not what faith does. This is not how faith behaves. But true faith is acting on what God has said, which is, throughout the big picture anyway, this is what Abraham did. He believed what God has said. Again, there were stops and starts. Sometimes there was no gas in the tank. Sometimes the plugs went bad. But by and large, Abraham held on to the promise of God. Really, the promise of God held on to Abraham. And the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 15 and verse number 6. It says that Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. The Apostle Paul looked back on that in Romans chapter number 4. Quotes that verse. And uses that as the prototype for what it means to be righteous through faith alone. So what did Abraham believe? What, What did Abraham, what was the content of his faith? The content of his faith was this. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe? He believed that God would give him a son. And that from that son would come a family. And from that family would come a nation. And from that nation would come the promised son who would bless all the nations of the world. You know what Abraham's faith was? Abraham's faith was that one day the Savior who would make him righteous would be born. And that one day a deliverer would come. And that one day a rescuer would be in this world who would fix all of his sins. And would fix all of his brokenness. Abraham believed the same gospel that you believe. With the same faith that you've been given. And as we proclaim the message of the gospel. There are few better places to do this in all of scripture. Than from the story of Abraham. Who simply believed the promise of God. As we recognize that to be saved by faith. Is to be saved by promises. One thing God doesn't need from us is our promises. One thing we need are His promises to us. And what has He promised? What has He promised the entire world? He's promised the entire world, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's His promise. His promise is that even though no one will come to Him unless the Father which sent Him will draw them, Jesus' promise is whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast him out. That's His promise. His promise is that if we look to Him from all the ends of the earth, we will be saved. Isaiah chapter 45 and verse number 22. His promise is that His law has been satisfied in Christ. 
His promise is that the Old Testament prophets have been completed. Have you noticed, by the way, I'm having fun tonight, so I'm just going to keep going. If y'all need to go, it's fine. You're not, we're not grilling out tomorrow night anyway, so you're good. Have you noticed in Sunday school, if you've been in First and Second Kings, and now you're in Amos and you're going through the minor prophets, have you noticed that nobody listens to those prophets? Nobody in Israel listens to those prophets. None of those kings hardly listen to those prophets. You get a few good ones sprinkled in. But all of these prophets, they're ignored. Where is, where is the faithful Jew that listens to the voice of the prophets? Well, he's the one born in Bethlehem, just like the prophet said he would be. He's the one who lived the perfect life, just like the prophet said he would be. He's the one who died as a sacrifice for sins, just like the prophet said, I would be, said, said he would be. And I don't remember what that had to do with Abraham, but y'all, y'all get the idea. It's all about Jesus. <laughs> it's all about Jesus. And he is the content that we call people to believe. And this is such, such great news for people like Abraham who try and do their best. And what do they get? Well, they get Ishmael. And we come to them and we say, stop trying. God's already done it. That's his promise. And he's kept that promise. The prophets have been fulfilled. There it is. Salvation has been earned for you. And God's not saying, do your best, try your hardest, and it'll be okay. No, God's saying, I've done my best. I've given my son so that you can have everlasting life. We better pray tonight or or we'll be here till 930. Lord, we love you. But God, we only love you because you love us. Thank you for the example of faithful Abraham. Lord, how he points us to Jesus when he gets it right. How he points us to Jesus when he gets it wrong. Lord, thank you for loving us in our sin. Thank you for loving us in our unbelief, just like you loved Sarah in her unbelief. And thank you for keeping your promises. God, help us to be transformed by the word of God to such a degree that we go out and share it with the world that needs it. Lord, bless us as we leave this place tonight. We put ourselves in your hands and we say we are yours. Go with us, go before us until we meet again. Lord, we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Good night and God bless y'all.